Today we go in depth about our usage of Xcode 11 and how we're liking it and building a project that makes use of all the new features that are available in Xcode 11 and as well uh, as has been announced by Apple at WWDC. This is Contravariance. Good morning, Bas. Good um, morning, Benedict. <laughs> Still a bit tired from the weekend. I've been going to bed early, mm. and then that didn't really work to like get less tired. So I didn't go to bed early yesterday, and that also didn't work. So mm. here we are, mm. yeah. Monday, Monday morning. Monday morning, the week begins, Bas is already tired. Right. And it's going to be a tough week. Well, tough week. Um, I'm going to another conference. So tomorrow I'm taking a train to Cologne mm-hmm. um, and then giving both a workshop and a talk, uh, which is similar to what I did last year in New York, which makes me feel good because I like New York. <laughs> um, and I'm also really looking forward to, to Cologne, um, giving a workshop on accessibility, which is always really great to you know show people um, what accessibility is like on, on iOS, especially with the new changes in Swift UI, etc. And then the day after, I will give a talk on puzzle solving and algorithms, hmm. which is something kind of out of the ordinary for me. So I'm actually also really looking forward to how that will turn out. Uh, what's the name of the conference? The conference is called SwiftConf, um, and it's in, in Cologne, like I said. Uh, and it's organized by a company that I don't know the exact name of, and it had a different name in the past. Um, yeah, I think it used to be called Objective C Cologne. No, Objective C Conf. It used to be called Objective C something. And yeah. Now, well, quite obviously, it's it's, it's Swift Conf. Yeah, I don't remember. I I don't remember. Have you been there once? No. Okay. Um, I was at the dub-dub where Swift was announced and in the evening there was a party and I ran into this guy and he was all excited uh, and he said, SwiftConf wasn't registered yet, it wasn't registered yet. And then he, I think he immediately registered it the day that um, Swift came out, like the name for the conference. Cool. Yeah, but um, never been there. So looking forward to uh, what you have to say about the conference afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I'm very much looking forward to like meeting the people as well. Uh, there's a great lineup. Like I kind of know everyone at this point. Like some people that I don't know that I'm also looking forward to mm-hmm. to meeting. Um, so yeah, should be should be a lot of fun. That sounds cool. Um, I had a really nice weekend. I, as, as you know, I am working on a side project um, that is mostly Swift. Um, and I did. I'm not willing to talk about that yet, but I I spent a lot of time doing it, and it's so fun because I'm just using the newest technologies. So it's iOS 13 only, um, and it's using SwiftUI, and it's using using Combine, and it's also using Catalyst. And so uh, it's so refreshing when you when you do something and you don't have to care about the older iOS versions. Now stuff is sometimes a bit buggy, but it's so fun building a new project and totally not having to care about legacy. Yeah, I think you talked about it earlier where, um, like, I think it was before DubDub or just after when you said, hey, I started on something in the weekend and, like, I was two minutes into building another UI table view controller and I was like, oh no, yeah, yeah not that, this again. Yeah, that totally. And then back then I stopped the project. I was like, no, <laughs> that was right before DubDub. And uh, now with all these changes um, that makes make it easy to, to quickly build small screens without having to 
create five view controllers or create a view controller abstraction. Um, it, it's it's very nice. Also, I like playing with new technologies and and figuring things out. Um, so that I that appeals to me as well in in a way. What are some of the learnings uh, from that that you now say, hey, this is something I would take back um, to like pre iOS thirteen? I mean, we talked about Swift UI and like making that like kind of architecture available on iOS 12. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else that you looked into or, or ran into that you say, hey, why haven't we done this before in the way that Apple does it now? Um, I started implementing my model A on top of Combine. Uh, and so far, I really like what I'm doing there or how they did it and, and how that can be used. That's probably something that would be nice to have instead of having to use Rx in, in the past, obviously. Um, and as a Mac developer, I'm a huge fan of bindings, which is the Cocoa-only Mac technology, and um, Combine goes into that direction. And so um, this makes a lot of things much easier because you also have the UI code support. So Combine is definitely something uh, that would be very cool to have on, on prior versions of iOS. And there is, I think it's called Open Combine, um, which is a open source implementation of everything that Combine does for older versions of iOS. I think there are even two competing projects doing that. So if you really want to, you can actually use it. They're also um, compatible. So basically you can use that and then just um, from iOS 13 on use the new version, the Apple's actual version of um, Combine, which is pretty cool because you can start using Combine now, even though you're only on iOS 11. And once you are ready to support iOS 13, you just switch to Apple's version. I don't know how how, um, performant and so on it is, but I, I just like the idea. Yeah, that's cool. And that's also one of the things that I think we try to do with the partial re-implementation of SwiftUI is trying to ask like you know if possible like try to stick closely to what apple does so that we can switch like hopefully switch more easily uh once we actually go to swift ui or with this project uh when you switch to combine yeah um also in regards to the swift ui thing um i guess it's also important to understand maybe we didn't stress that enough last episode that we're really only implementing a very tiny part of it um which basically just replaces something homegrown that we have called the stack wrapper. And basically it's mostly replacing that in a way that's um, future compatible with what's coming down the line. Yeah, and it feels like that's also like we have we have to keep the scope small because like, first of all, it's pretty difficult already to mm. to get this kind of architecture working. And we don't want to like recreate everything. No. That- like, Maybe if like they open source it at some point, although I don't expect that anytime soon. No, I don't soon. expect that. Um, so yeah, definitely something we we kept in mind. Um, regarding Combine, you said you built this on top of your model layer. How does that look like? Because you don't really want Combine in your model, right? Like, how do you how do you split the model from that code, and how is it connected? Yeah, so that was a very simply uh, simplistic expression. Um, what I did is I have the model layer and then I have a, let's call it adapter that goes on top and that offers the, the combine, um, subscriber and publisher capabilities. So that basically that, that is the object that are then basically it's like a, like a view model. Um, that is the object that I basically, um, subscribe to. 
And I'm currently, so it has all these fancy features of, um, of zipping stuff and mapping stuff. So you have these streams and you do a lot of stuff and I'm basically just subscribing to the, to the changes. I'm not doing anything else yet. Um, so it's, I'm currently my requirements, requirements are very simple and out of all the new technologies that I'm using, Combine is the one that I'm using the least um, because it, it requires a lot more understanding than I currently have. I had used, I had much more knowledge with SwiftUI, much more knowledge with Catalyst, so that made it easier for me to to understand and use these properly. With Combine, I, I don't really uh, have the understanding yet that I think I need to use it in the, a very proper way. So I'm just using it as an alternative to having callbacks. Right. And how's, how's Catalyst been? Because I haven't really heard much in the last few weeks from people having worked with Catalyst. Like, how's it been, like, over the last few betas? And what is your what is your general opinion? Because you you have a lot of experience with macOS development. So this is, I mean, you gave, you gave a whole workshop on this in, in July. What are your thoughts at the moment? Um, I, I have a kind of mixed opinion there. Um, so the, the very recent current set of catalysts I can't say anything about um, because due to a, a very specific build issue that I have, currently I can't use Catalyst in, in the project. So it's set up for Catalyst and there's a Catalyst target, but I can't build it. Um, so I'm currently focusing on, on iOS, um, where, but, but I keep in mind that everything is Catalyst, but it used to be to work on Catalyst in earlier versions of Xcode, but with a current beta it doesn't. Um, and, but that's also not so important for me because it's, it's a long time to go until my project is finished. So at some point it will work again. And so I'm just, I don't want to battle this specific battle right now. However, um, as you said, I've, I've done a lot of macOS development. I had a couple of apps in the store that sold very well, um, did macOS development almost solely for like six years. Um, and it's a bit unfair to compare because on the Mac, a lot of technologies were also added in recent years and I haven't really done any macOS development in the last three years. So um, I, I now I'm comparing the current state of UI kit versus macOS as it was three to four years ago. Nevertheless, it feels so much nicer to use with UIKit. So the the one thing that is that on the Mac, oftentimes, and now again, this is from three years ago, I wanted to build something and then there was a weird, specific edge case somewhere in AppKit, 15 years old, where in a specific condition, this didn't work and it's tricky and then you get weird behavior only on a certain Mac, for example. So everything is a bit complicated. And this UIKit stuff, it just works. So it's you basically you do what you think you should do. And now I know there are bugs, but um, they appear much less heavily than I had it with AppKit, that things would showcase weird behavior. Because with AppKit, you can do much more. Um, you there there's a lot of stuff that you especially with in regards to events and so on that you that you can't do um, on UIKit and that uh, that makes the puzzling things together much easier in a way. So it it feels a bit liberating to write a Mac app. No, not liberating. It feels easier to write a Mac Mac app with UIKit with Catalyst. Um, simpler. Now you also have less features, but it's also simpler to do this. And it feels like that's exactly what Apple like had in mind, right? Because especially from for those people like me that haven't really used AppKit, like I think that and that, that again goes for me at least. Like I've tried AppKit a few times, um, but it was quite quite a learning curve because it's completely different from UIKit, and like it seems like Apple wanted people to go to macOS 
but with a UI kit background, and that's exactly then what mm. you would want is that it would be easier and that the learning curve wouldn't be that high. And sure, maybe you don't have all the features, but that's something that they can then add in an upcoming year. And um, it also kind of depends on, so if you sit there and you think, should I choose AppKit or should I, should I choose UIKit? Then basically, if you already know UIKit and if you know that the app you're wanting to build um, doesn't require any of the features that are AppKit only, then why would you choose AppKit? Choose UIKit, build your app. It will also run on iPad, best of both worlds. If you already know AppKit or if you know that the app you want to do has a very specific requirement that you will not be able to do with UIKit. Let's take for example, um, I think it's AirBuddy. That's uh, from Lambo, a app that basically allows to have these nice loading animations and connection uh, with um, AirPods that you also have on the iPad, for example. And obviously you can't build that with um, Catalyst because it, it goes very deep into the Bluetooth stack on macOS and so on. So that's something that has to be a native macOS app um, or AppKit because Catalyst is also native. Um, it, it depends on what you want to do. Uh, and if you know AppKit and, and you like AppKit, obviously, why would you then use your iKit except if your app would really make a lot of sense on iPad as well and you're only a single developer, for example. Choose your battles wisely. Yeah, it feels like we have a lot of options now and that's that's really great. Um, that we can figure out, okay, what do we want to build on what, uh, like, where do we want to have this run? And then we can choose the correct, yeah. or, well, correct. There isn't really a wrong one, I would say, but choose the, the technology that makes most sense. Yeah, and with, with SwiftUI, you can even write your code once, and then basically it will behave differently if you, d depending on which targets you add it to. Yeah, so, but that then is, is obviously tricky when your target actually doesn't build and you can't really <laughs> keep up with it because that would be nice. Yes, yes, um, it's tricky. But then you mentioned the whole Bluetooth thing and like going deep into macOS. I think you can still combine, haha, combine. You can like add AppKit code to a com like to a Catalyst app, right? Yeah, yeah. you can you can create an, a new target which is a NS bundle and NS bundles can host classes and they can you can load that at runtime in your um, catalyst app and then basically execute that AppKit code and then run anything there um, it just stands to reason if most of what your app is um, and defi what defines your app is in this bundle then this bundle will not run on iPad right so then on I so then you don't get the advantage that your app runs on iPad because the the what the essence of your app is in a bundle that only runs on macOS and so you only have a very simple UI and a lot of AppKit code anyway so then why would you do Catalyst then right I mean then it would depend on what that piece yeah. of code would do but it's yeah. nice that we have that option yeah, as well absolutely yeah that's really cool that's also something I plan to use in the app that I'm working on in the future for a couple of things that um, make more sense in a different way on, on um, macOS because that's maybe an important addition um, that a couple of UI elements that you know from macOS, let's say a popover, for example, um, in a Catalyst app, they are native iPad elements. So basically when you have a popover on macOS, you get this additional window that can go out of your current window and that on when you have a Catalyst app and you have a popover there, it's basically just drawing within the Catalyst window. So it's a native iPad element there that is not a Mac popover. If you want those Mac pop popovers, you have to load additional code, as we said before, and then basically call one of those. Call one of those. The same for sheet windows. So basically, if you want native Mac UI 
um, within a Catalyst app, you can do that by loading the bundle and then having, let's say, windows or sheets and so on and, and adding them at runtime. But then you would have separate code just for macOS and you have to see for yourself if you think that that makes sense. Yeah, to me, it still feels like that's something that Apple Apple hopefully is going to be working on and actually like change so that they aren't like iPad, mm-hmm. like iOS-ish elements, but actually the macOS ones. Because to me, it doesn't really make sense that we would have to do that at least like in a few years time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope so too, but we don't know where they're going. Exactly. Yeah. Do we want to go into the next topic? Sure. Okay, so, but we've been using Xcode 11 quite some time now because uh, we needed to get our app to work properly with iOS 13 and with a dark mode and so on. Um, what are your impressions on Xcode 11? Well, before before that, <laughs> what, what it mostly reminds me of again is last year and Xcode 10 and Xcode 9, where it was like I had to switch daily multiple times. And then I've haven't had that bad of an experience this year because I'm like more used to it but from last year I remember like not switching either like the like uh, Xcode uh, select and then like after 15 minutes my, my you know my build wouldn't compile and I would have to figure out mm-hmm. what was wrong um, so even though that's a lot of work especially with one computer like I feel that that's not been an issue that much this year um, and then with Xcode 11 I don't know. I haven't used it that much. I disabled the minimap, which I didn't really feel like I, I used a lot. Um, I'm still getting used to the new like buttons to switch to like multiple panes and uh, like author view or get blame. Um, I haven't really used the multiple cursor selection yet because I feel like, yeah, it's super cool when you see it, but it's such a niche thing that I don't really end up using it. Um, and then, I mean, we've been building dark mode mostly, mm-hmm. uh, which is like asset catalogs, and I haven't I haven't really seen the power of Xcode 11 yet, hmm. I feel. Okay. Not really done much SwiftUI yet, not really done, mm-hmm. uh, n- not upgraded to Catalina, so I haven't seen mm-hmm. the like preview. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, although I've been using it a lot, I have been using it like it's just Xcode 10. Interesting. So I, I do enjoy the minimap, I have to say, because when you add comments um, and mark comments, they are laid out in the minimap. And so if you structure your code in a nice way where you basically say, okay, let's say you have a URV controller and then initially you have the um, you subclass the URSponder part maybe, um, then you um, you basically set a mark URSponder and then you subclass the URV controller parts and then you say you have your controller and as a mark and then you have additional private additions that you add somewhere um, and the minimap will show all of that very easily and that allows me to quickly move around in the minimap it also shows you git errors so when when you have a not git sorry um, build error so when you have a build error it shows a red line so you just can just click there i like that a lot um, i'm not entirely sure if i mostly like it because i like the visuals so it could be that I just like looking at it and I will feel in, in a couple of weeks that I don't like it that much. But in general, I, I, I think it's a nice addition. What um, I also use the, the multiple covers, covers a lot. I just used it yesterday evening. So I had a, um, a root controller that hosted five 
um, child view controllers and they each had a LED property. So LED first controller equals UI controller. And then I realized at some point that um, they needed to be varse and they needed to be optional because they were going to be set later. So I had like five lines that were LED and had no question mark at the end. And so I selected the five, the five, the five LEDs, type var, jumped to the end and added a question mark. And then all five were added. Now it's a small thing, but it definitely saved me a couple of seconds. Um, yeah, it feel it, it like I would like to use it. It's more that I'm not like familiar with how like what the keyboard shortcuts are or how you mm -hmm. like go into this mode. And at that point, I'm already like, yeah, I mean, let's just change it the normal way. Okay. Yeah, it, it may also be because we talked about Vim before, where you always edit multiple lines. Like that's one of the corner cases is that you can quickly apply change to multiple lines. So I'm I'm always thinking in that in terms of how can I minimize my typing. Like that's basically always, there's a process running in my head, always looking at the code and thinking, can I minimize that? Less keystrokes, please. So maybe that's um, how I can quickly identify that because I've been doing it for so long. Did you already use the new Git integration in Xcode 11? I've never, ever used Git integration with Xcode. <laughs> so no, also not with Xcode 11. So there's a, um, there's a new... In the line number pane, when you change code, um, there's now a blue button. And when you tap it, um, it will show you your changes to that line or to the line surrounding it. And I find that very, very helpful. That's actually my favorite new Xcode 11 feature because you're adding a lot of code all over the place. Um, and then you want to you want to understand what did it look before, before I changed it. Maybe something was wrong, something is there. Beforehand, you could do a git diff, but it, that's a bit trickier because then you, you are out of context. Or you could open the two panes where you got an Xcode two panes and the second one showed you was errors where the code came from, but that was very slow. And now it's just one tap and you see immediately the changes in a very nice way. I'm, I'm using that so often. It's really nice. And you can also um, discard the changes. So if you think you want to have it as it was before, that makes it so much easier to just do quick refactorings because you can start doing them. And then if you realize, no, I think I'm going in the wrong direction, you just discard a couple of times, bam, you go on. It's really nice. I, I, I Honestly, I have used the discard there. So I have done that. So yeah. There we go. I lied. <laughs> But no, I haven't really used any any other of the, the features. Um, but yeah, being able to see what code looks like and looked like is, is definitely something that I would consider using. Yeah, so this, I feel, is a really nice feature. Um, I'm, I'm also confused, I, I guess maybe I like you, with the new how you add multiple panes, uh, multiple editor panes. Um, it's just the buttons confuse me. I think um, I frequently, frequently tap the plus button when I just want the other button um, the one where you can enable and disable the canvas and so on. So I want to tap that button and then I tap the other one. So I'm, I'm still confused by the buttons, I guess. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, another new thing that came to Xcode 11 is the uh, metrics organizer. Did you look into that yet? The what? Metrics organizer. I think that answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners that don't know, um, from iOS 12.4 on, Apple started collecting metrics of your app. So uh, how much, um, in, on average, for all the devices out there, how much CPU consumption did your app do? Um, was the RAM consumption, how much did you, uh, GPU consumption was there and, and stuff like that. And uh, they also have a very nice metric where you can see if your app blocked the main thread for a certain amount of time. I think it's 250 milliseconds, something like that. Uh, and so all this information is collected 
Um, and now you would expect that it's an iTunes Connect, but it's not. It's an Xcode. So in Xcode, there's a new, um, in the organizer, there's a new metrics tab that basically shows you all the information for the app that belongs to your account where you can see the metrics of the app that's out in the wild. So the, the data that is generated on the devices by the user is anonymized, anonymized and then basically displayed there, which makes it really easy to get a better understanding of the performance of your app out in the wild. Um, and you don't have to do anything for that. Apple is collecting it and displaying it in Xcode. It's really nice. But is that then similar to the crashes that end up in Xcode, which are pretty nice when they are there, but they're like so slow where I think they only end up there in like 24 hours that most of the time they're not like, they're really hard to use, even if you really want to use them. The, the difference to the crashes is that um, the crash you want to have as fast as possible, whereas this information is aggregated. So um, it's less important. I mean, it's obviously if you do a release and the performance is really terrible, you would like to know about this as fast as possible, but that's not the tool for this job. This is more, um, you get the information, long-term information, aggregated information about how your app is behaving. Um, you also get information like how fast is, it, is the app startup time on which devices. So you can see, for example, how long does it take on iPhone 6s if you, Europe is still being used on iPhone 6s out there? How fast is, this, is it on an iPhone XR if it's still on, if that's being used? And, and then you can draw comparisons and so on. So you get a lot for free that you don't have to care about. Otherwise, if you wanted to know how fast your app starts on different devices, that's a lot of hassle to, to identify. And now basically you just get this information. And then if you improve and then you release, you can basically just look at it a couple of weeks later and see that you improve. So it, it's kind of nice. And you get it for free. And in addition to that, there's also Metric Kit, which basically is a, a um, framework that allows you to collect all this information and then do your own processing with it. Um, but Apple has a default dashboard. Yeah, but it sounds it definitely sounds like a nice addition, right? Even if it would like be able to improve, which it probably can be, it's it seems like a nice addition uh, that we can use. Does it do like you mentioned the main thread blocking? Does it do any, or is it able to like make any connections to code that is being mm -hmm. run at that point, or no. is that something you have to figure out yourself? You have to use instruments for that, right? Yeah. Um, that's that's actually something that uh, I think Antoine has been looking into uh, with instruments, and he made some really nice improvements to uh, to the WeTransfer app, where it was blocking the main thread, or it was like basically like using the main thread when it didn't really have mm -hmm. to. I think during like some kind of loading, so it made it a bit quicker. So that's also really nice. Instruments is really useful. Um, I think it's an underused tool. Uh, for understanding what your code is doing uh, because you can pinpoint really the point in your code base where the load on, this, on the CPU, for example, happens. Um, and then quickly find out, like, let's say you, you're scrolling and it, it's stuttering when you're scrolling and you can basically see what is it that's costing all the performance here and then identify it, even if it's one of Apple's elements that you may be using in the wrong way. And then, uh, then you know, okay, this is a, this is probably not right. And then you can look into it and you can research and see why it's behaving the way it is. Yeah, it's definitely something that I really, really love. But I feel similar a bit to like macOS, where it's like, it's well, I wouldn't say that macOS development is like underused, but like, I think they suffer from a bit of the same issue where instruments is really powerful, um, but it's really hard to understand. Plus the like added uh, 
like challenge of there not being like much documentation. Mm. So if you have an issue or if you want to know something, it's really hard to actually find a good resource that explains how this works. And even if that's the case, then it's still like a really hard UI to understand. Yeah, and the UI changed over the years. So if you find a tutorial that worked for, I don't know, Instruments 7, then it might not work for the current version anymore because the UI changed a bit and then it's even more tricky. And they have these probes that you can write yourself uh, that um, used, used to use the D-Trace language, which is the technology that's behind Instruments. And um, that's a very specific kind of language that you can use to, to collect information from the process. But now it's been replaced with something else. I think it's XML. I don't know. Apple released last year something. So um, now all that old information is also not valid anymore and now you have this new and so it's a bit confusing i think they simplified it for the good but it's in these um transitions like that it's even more difficult to find documentation yeah it's interesting because indeed like last year they they added quite a bit or they made quite a bit of an overhaul but it seems like they're not really there yet and i would have hoped to see a bit more this year but you know you can only do so much, even yeah. if you're if you're a big company like Apple. Totally, I I feel like we they are working at the seams now with everything they introduced this year and with the I mean, I think the um, the iOS event is uh, about to happen. So I think on the tenth of September is what was leaked, and there are still so many issues and everything that I, they probably have to work day and night. Yeah, and I think they were even like cutting some like features that they're actually removing again, which they've done mm-hmm. like in the yeah. past year with. Yeah. Uh, iMessages in iCloud and uh, FaceTime video with multiple people, I think. Yeah. Um, so my uh, my Mac Mini runs Catalina, and I thought it had a bug where when it went to sleep, it would crash and then reboot. And so I disabled sleeping um, yesterday because I, I had been working on stuff. And so I, we went out for a couple of hours, my girlfriend and I. So I disabled sleeping. And when I came back, it had still rebooted. And then I looked at the trace and it was something like Watchdog um, thought that the UI was unresponsive. So I think what happens is when I'm not using the system for a certain amount of time, it crashes. So I, I can work on it all day, nothing happens, but when I leave it alone, at some point it crashes. So there are still issues. It feels lonely. Yes. <laughs> that the system telling me that I should continue working. Why am, am I out of the house? Exactly. And on the topic of issues, um, I haven't used Xcode 11 that much as Xcode 11, like I said. Mm -hmm. Um, But something I ran into last Friday was a bug in the header documentation generation. And then, you know, being a good citizen, I wanted to file this to Apple. And I tried to reproduce the bug in uh, Playgrounds. And instead of not being able to reproduce it, I actually found another bug. So um, what didn't work is when you generate header documentation in the latest beta, which is uh, beta 6 at the moment, um, it doesn't generate a line for return. So if you return... So if you return anything in a function that you then generate uh, documentation for, it won't generate. Um, So I went to Playgrounds and I tried to reproduce it. So basically just like one line, right? Like one function and I tried to generate um, documentation and it didn't generate anything at all. It just silently failed. It didn't say that there was anything wrong at all. And the thing is, it only needs two new lines above this function declaration and then it works. 
which doesn't really make sense to me because it actually inserts lines still. But yeah, that was the issue. So then I filed that, uh, filed those two. And then I also realized it seems like they're like made some major changes there because they uh, like swapped around some uh, like generation of parameters where before it would like say if you have multiple parameters, parameters, and then you had all the separate parameters. And now per parameter, you have one separate line. So it seems like they made a lot of changes and also introduced quite a few bugs. So I wonder, like I only realized that now, and I think I haven't really used it in any of the previous beta. So I don't know if this has been there since the beginning or, Mm -hmm. but let's hope that they can at least fix some of those because it would be a shame if that's something that, Mm -hmm. you know, is unusable. Yeah. I have to admit, I haven't used that yet. So I I can't really say anything to that, but I always keep forgetting that it's there. And once I realize it's there, I already wrote half the, half the header myself. And then I'm like, oh, right. so yeah, I, I need to, that's something I better need to remember. Yeah, but it's also something similar I feel with the cursors. It's also like if you don't memorize mm-hmm. the keyboard shortcut, then you can't really use the feature basically. Yeah, for me, it's this is not something that Vim would offer. So there's no process back in my head running and then thinking about how to simplify this. So that's big because I just don't consider, oh, this is something I could do, so. And I've heard you also ran into a an interesting project that you wanted to quickly mention, Vina. Yeah, so um, we talked about Xcode 11 a lot on this podcast and also briefly about Catalina. And so um, this is like the time of the year where you probably have two to three versions of Xcode on your system and maybe even have set aside a small partition for Catalina. And for me, that means I'm in constant need of storage. Um, I oftentimes get this small bubble in the top um, of my system that says you have run out of disk space and so I'm constantly deleting and shuffling stuff around because the the hard disk is is not big enough for other stuff, especially if you compile a big project. Um, With all its dependencies, you quickly consume another 10 gigs of space just for the derived data. And there's a tool called xcode-dev.cleaner. Um, and I will read the tagline from its GitHub um, repository. It says, if you want to reclaim tens of gigabytes of your storage used for various Xcode caches, this tool is for you. It's a Mac app, and uh, you can see a screenshot here, Buzz. Um, not the listeners, I guess, um, that shows shows you a lot of the stuff that Xcode installed on your system, uh, like, for example, the TVOS simulators, the WatchOS simulators, older simulator versions, um, archives, and then basically you can select what you don't need anymore and just delete it. It's a very nice UI to delete, apart from derived data, um, a lot of the information that you might not even need anymore. Like, usually I only need one of the latest simulators, I especially I don't need WatchOS or TVOS, and it will basically allow you to clean it and reclaim that space. I've used it a couple of times, it's really nice, and I think it easily helped me to gain 10 to 15 gigabytes of memory again. So it's basically like a, a Mac app to combine all of these random, like, uh, one-off things that you can find on the internet where it's yeah. like, hey, this is something where you can delete all the simulators that you don't need anymore. Hey, this is a way that you can delete uh, previous Xcode caches, etc. Yeah, and it has a nice UI for it. So can you you can put it into your applications folder and once a month you start it, you have a brief look, delete a couple of things, close it, you're done. It's nice. And does this do anything more than some of the apps that already on the that are already on the App Store, like Clean My Mac? Um, this is only for Xcode. 
Schema Mac does a lot of other things. Um, it also looks at other caches, um, other applications, um, a lot of stuff that, that basically doesn't fall under Xcode. Um, so Clean My Mac is much bigger, but I would I, I would be hesitant to use that. For this this year is open source. I would I'm fine running it on my system because it it has access to all the folders. It's probably also fine for Clean My Mac, but um especially for the production system here at work, I'm hesitant to just run any software on my Mac that has access to all the folders with all the information. Um, yeah, and would be like it's nice that this one is like focused to Xcode indeed. Yeah, yeah. Which is also what's consuming most of the storage on my system, to be honest. Same. <laughs> same theme. Yeah. All right. Okay. It was nice talking to you again, yes, Bene. It was nice. Let's see when we're back, because I will be not in the office until the 9th of September or something. Yeah. So. And after that, I'm gone. So I guess the next time that we're both in the office is probably end of September beginning of October <laughs> we'll figure something out yeah yeah okay um, all right thanks for listening thanks for listening bye